pick up technically in verse 11, but I'm going to go back and pick up 10 as we start back. So, wherefore she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondswoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his sin. You know, just like any other parent, Abraham was very disappointed in her son, just like any of us would be. It hurts a parent when a child misbehaves. The parent holds a semblance of responsibility when their child sins because they feel like they have failed in the rearing of their child. A Christian parent knows the consequences of sin, and this feeling of failure in rearing the child makes them think it is their fault that their child will suffer the consequences of what they did. I know I did not, I know I did not want to have the feeling that I failed my child and that they will suffer because of something that I've done. I don't want, you know, my failures to project onto my children and then when their failures cause them in, to fall into sin, because you know it, there's a price for sin. So I don't want that to fall onto them. And Abraham's kind of feeling the same way. Because of the sins of his child, he's, uh, his child's going to have to pay the penalty for it. So he's, he's feeling a little bit grievous in his heart about that. Going on to verse 12 through 13. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman in all that Sarah hath said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. So Abraham is caught between pleasing his wife and expelling his son Ishmael. It grieved his heart that he must hurt someone that he loves, but God steps in and tells him not to be upset. He is quick to let Abraham know what his will is, and God's will must be done. It is necessary for Ishmael to be cast out so that the covenant could be fulfilled. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. If we look at Hebrews eleven eighteen, it says, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. It was almost like a prophecy and it brings it back. So, and then you look, both Christ and the church must come through the seed of Isaac. This is the promise on Isaac. Romans 9, starting in verse 6, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. Go back and look at verse 6 a little bit. See what it says. It says, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Just because you was born there doesn't mean you're part of that promised seed. Just like Ishmael, we are not guaranteed the inheritance of our father. Abraham was a great man of God, but there is nothing he can do to guarantee that Ishmael will be a son of God. It is Ishmael's responsibility to make his own personal calling to be saved. Your father may be the greatest testament of faith that has ever walked on this face of the earth. He may be a Billy Graham. You may be kin to D.L. Moody or Martin Luther or Charles Spurgeon. You could be kin to any of those things, people, but it doesn't save you. It's not going to save you. None of this matters to you in your eternal inheritance. Your eternal inheritance depends on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's kind of amazing how the story, the story of Abraham in verse 21 
to me, keeps bringing me back to salvation, how important it is that you get saved. Looking on in verse 14, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. With heavy heart, you know, I can only imagine what Abraham was going through as he loaded up, you know, Hagar and his child, throwing a few pieces of bread in a basket, throwing a little basket of water with her and then sending her on her way. So they sent her away and she headed towards the wilderness of Beersheba, which if you look on a map and start looking around, it's really in Southern Israel where it's located at. So that's where that's at. So they traveled off and going on into verse 15 and 16. And in, and the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off as it were a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. So after traveling through the wilderness, of course, you know, in that area, that's a hot environment and stuff like that. Water just went. I mean, you drank it and then it's done. There really ain't, you'll find out later in this chapter that water was a pretty big commodity. It was something to be prized, especially if you had a well or something like that. We'll find out later in the chapter how important that well is. So it ran out on them. Hagar was in such despair that she laid Ishmael under a bush and went a ways off. So, you know, well, how far is a ways off? Well, a bow shot is a pretty good, pretty good shot. I think it would, you may still hear a child cry, but maybe not as bad. And you definitely won't be able to see a child, especially under a bush from that far away. So she, she went a ways off so that she would not see the death of her child. And in her despair, she wept loudly. What parent would not weep loudly? When you're coming to the end of your rope, you're out of water, probably out of food, everything else, and you feel like there's no hope. Hagar had that feeling. She was pretty well crushed at the moment. So 17 through 21. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not. For God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him to thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. <clears throat> so as she wept, you know, of course, God heard her cries. He wasn't surprised at this at all. I mean, he knows what's going to happen before it ever happens. But he heard her cries. Like Hagar, we think that in our desperate times, God does not know or care about what is going on. But guess what? He is always listening for our petitions and our pleas and our cries. He lets her know that he has heard her cry and knows exactly where Ishmael is. He knows where the problem is. You know, God wants us to talk to him and tell him where the problem is, but he already knows. He already knows what's going on. He knows what they need and tells her to go and pick Ishmael up. 
things are going to be okay because the seed of Ishmael will become a great nation. Ishmael will have 12 sons and at least one known daughter, I think, is listed in the Bible. So his sons were Nabajoth. I should have got Preacher Bill to name, name all these. Uh, sons were Nabajoth, Kadar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedma. So he had quite a few names there, quite a few children. <clears throat> so as Ishmael grew, he would become a great archer. He would, you know, if it's mentioned in the Bible, usually it's probably of some importance. You know, he became a great archer, which in that time was very prized because it's for hunting, it's for defense, it's for war. So he became a great archer and would marry a woman from Egypt. Now, this woman from Egypt that he married was set up by Hagar. She was the one that set it up. And all 12 sons were considered to be chiefs and princes because Hagar was thought to be the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. So that's why he be, they became chiefs of different tribes and princes of different tribes is because she was thought to be the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Egypt. Now, Ishmael died at the age of 137. And some theologians assume he was saved because of the wording in Genesis 25, 17. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years and he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people now we do not know for sure if he was saved when he died but some theologians think that he was um, you know go back to verse 18 and and look at that you know it says arise lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand for I will make him a great nation you know while studying across uh, this lesson, I came across a good note regarding this verse. It said, God's readiness to help us when we are in trouble must not slacken, but quicken our endeavors to help ourselves. It's very important that we help ourselves. Even though we see God beginning to perform great things in our lives, we should be ready to do our part. To make sure we had a way to heaven, God sent his son to die. We now have this lifeline to heaven. We've got this wonderful, great lifeline to heaven. But this lifeline can do nothing to save us unless we grab a hold. There is absolutely—I mean, we've got a—we've got a ladder, a stairway, whatever you want to, whatever visual you want to put on it. Unless we take a step on that ladder or stairs, or unless we take a hold of that rope, it will not save us. We've got to do our part. So she done her part. You know, she could have said, "God, thank you. I appreciate you saving us." No, she's got to go pick up the lad. She's got to do her part too. So going on in verse 22 through 32. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Pekol, the chief captain of the host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's sons, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee. Thou shalt do unto me and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I walk not who hath done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. 
And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there, there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Pekol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned unto the land of the Philistines. <clears throat> well, starting in verse 22, we start looking at the treaty that is being made between Abraham and, and Abimelech. You know, Abimelech ain't no stupid person. He's pretty smart. Abimelech has either witnessed personally or heard of Abraham and the blessings that he has received. He is quick to offer a treaty with Abraham because he either believes in the blessings flowing from Abraham will either rub off on him, or if he goes against Abraham, he will suffer a mighty defeat. Look around, you know, if you see the God's blessings flowing on people, you may want to kind of hang around those people. They're, they're probably pretty tight with them. And Abimelech's not dumb. He knows that he needs to make a treaty with him. <clears throat> Either way, he's noticed the favor that God had on Abraham's life, and he does not want to go against this. So in verses 22 through 24, the treaty is discussed and agreed to that neither tribe will deal harshly with the other. In the spirit of open communication between the two tribes, Abraham brought to the attention of Abimelech the disagreement about a well of water, which was a prized possession in this day. According to Abimelech, he did not know who or when this had happened until he gave them to Abimelech. Not as payment, but as a goodwill gesture of their mutual agreement between each other. While doing this, he set seven new lambs off to the side, which kind of puzzled Abimelech. He didn't know what was going on at the time. But upon questioning Abim uh, Abraham, he stated that this was a witness to his ownership of the well, and the area was, was named Beersheba which means well of oath or well of seven to commemorate their treaty. After the treaty was agreed upon, Abimelech and his chief, Pico, I keep saying Pico, but it may be Fico. I'm not sure. It's kind of just spelled funny. Got up and returned to the land of Phil the Philistines. So, you know, they agreed upon this treaty. Then they also wanted to make sure the well was understood because, you know, Abraham is, is pretty mad that one of, uh, the servants from Abimelech came over and tried to take over his well and everything else. But you know, so Abimelech, he said, yeah, go ahead. It's yours. <laughs> he knows better than to go against what God's will is for uh, Abraham. Smart. He's smart. So they agreed to the treaty. The seven new lambs wasn't necessarily payment. It was just part of the agreement there that he understood that this well was his and it belonged to him. And like I said, in that area, and it probably is today, water is a well, is a very prized possession. It is very, very important. So we're going to finish off this chapter with verses 33 through 34. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the home of the Lord, on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. So for many days afterwards, he stayed in the land of the Philistines. And that's where I'm at. Anybody got any thoughts on this lesson today?
no thoughts, no comments. We know that next Wednesday we'll be picking up with chapter 22. So be prepared for that. Go ahead and read ahead. But I found it very funny that, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's because it's on my mind about other people getting saved, but this chapter kept bringing me back to salvation about how important it is to no longer be a son of the bond woman, but being a son of God and how important it is. And that lifeline is there for everybody. It's not there just for me and 40 other people or whatever. Everybody can grab a hold of the lifeline. But like with picking up the lad, you've got to do your part. You've just got to grasp a hold. Because God will get you there. All you've got to do is grab a hold of it. You don't want a lazy Christian. They don't want a lazy Christian. No, sir. No, sir. And I like what you said. God does his part. We have a part. Yep. Jesus did his part by dying on the cross and coming forth from the grave three days and three nights later. Our part is to repent and believe. Yep. It's not automatically ours. We have a responsibility to do our part. And another thing, and I think it's illustrated by Brother Glenn's uh, sharing about the wire on his truck and Brother Allen sharing about the fuse. Uh, God's concerned about everything in our life. Mm -hmm. If it concerns us, it concerns our Heavenly Father. It, it, can, it doesn't have to be a major big thing. It could be something just whatever everyday life that frustrates us or we need a we need just a just an indication. He's saying, oh, yeah. whatever concerns us, concerns our Heavenly Father. And I praise God for that. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's concerned about everything in the life of this child. And just like, as you mentioned, as a father with a child, a father with children, we want to do everything we can to meet their need and be there for them. And we're limited. But our Heavenly Father is not limited. Nope. He's omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient. He's there. Whatever concerns us, doesn't matter what it is, he concerns us. And he's there to meet that need and just to show us he's there with us yeah. as we face it. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Any other comments? Like somebody said earlier, he wants us to rely on him. And uh, and I'm glad of that. You know, yeah. I'm so glad that he we've got a, a father that we can look to and that we can rely on. You know, it's just a a blessing in everyday life. Yeah. Well, it takes life from living just living to the joy. It, it really is the door opening for the abundant life that Jesus said, which means life a fulfilling life. Yeah. I'm coming that you might have life and have more abundance. Part of that abundant life is that we know he's there. Whatever we face, he's, he's with us. Mm -hmm. And that mercy, what a blessing that he is. We don't face anything by ourselves. Nope. And we've got Almighty God with us. He's our Heavenly Father. And uh, what, a, what an encouragement that is as we live everyday life. Yeah. We live our lives. Any other thoughts? Like I said, next Wednesday we'll be starting off 
going to chapter 22. I can't 